Welcome to Momentum Church. All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all y'all today. And I want you to open your Bibles to Revelations chapter 3. While you're getting over there, I just, all week long, I've wanted to come before you and just say that God wants to declare his favor over your life this week. Amen? And it's just neat. As your pastor, I'm hearing different testimonies and stories and things God's doing in people's lives. And I just see God's favor upon you. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Amen? I want you to say that. Say, God's favor is upon me. By faith, say it again. God's favor is upon me. Amen. You don't even, I don't even think you believe it. Say it real loud. Ready? Amen. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. God's favor is upon you. And that has nothing to do with this sermon. That's okay, though. No, it has everything to do with this sermon. As we begin to walk after who God has called us to be, his church, we begin to see God's hand move upon us in a very unique, very powerful way. And we're going to look at that. And it feels good when you begin to realize God's favors upon you. Amen? Last Sunday night, my maverick, he had his his upward basketball celebration. This was like the night where they're going to do their awards, you know? And so, and at that age, like that eight, nine, ten-year-old age, these little guys are a trip on the court while they're running around like they're just like finally discovering their bodies it's the funniest thing so they're running and it's like I run and I, and I do that with my foot and I do that with my foot and I, I don't know what like what do you do with your foot but this is what kids this age do you know and so they're all up there in a line ready to hear from their coach every coach brought up the team and got them in a line and every little boy's up there this one little guy and they're just they're all fidgety that's what they do at that age right and um and so the coach begins to go down the line and speak his favor, if you will, over every one of his players. It was the coolest thing. And so as these boys beam, he just begins to extol them. He begins to commend them on their, 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 their year, you know? And so he points out each boy's efforts, and he points out each boy's accomplishments. And all season long, Maverick was trying to get a basket. All season long, he's not the tallest on the team because he's my son. All right? And all season long, he's trying to get that rebound, trying to get that basket, and he got one the last game. And so, you know, his coach mentioned that. You know, all year he's worked hard, and he finally got that basket, and, and he's just beaming. And he would go down all the boys, every single one, and they're all beaming as their coach commended them. Don't you like hearing good things spoke over you? Yeah, we do. And that's what was happening in that moment. He pointed out some of the expectations he had. I know this young man, he's going to be the next Michael Jordan. And he would brag on some of the kids' expectations. Like he got to Maverick. I know this young man, he's going to be a preacher. <laughs> Didn't say a whole lot about the basketball. <laughs> but, but nobody was sitting here speaking forth expectation and, and honoring the team. And they're all just beaming. You could see them just elate with that, that commendation. That's what is happening in Revelations chapter 3. I want you to stand to your feet. In Revelations chapter 3, let's go to verse 7. We see a church. It's the church of Philadelphia. And this is a church that received no condemnation. When it came to Jesus' word over their life, much like that coach, it was all positive. 
When it came to it, it wasn't they were incredible players, but he had words of life, words of favor that he was speaking over them. And so I want to start with Revelations 3, verse 7 to 8, and then we'll go from there. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these words, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Jesus then says of the church, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you've but little power, and yet you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Oh, that has to feel incredible. Think about it, if you would. This church, they received the letters of the other church. Everybody saw these open letters. And so for this church, they're getting a commendation. It had to feel like a million bucks. Yeah, it did. Don't you love it when people notice that you're doing something right and they make mention of it? Be honest. Am I alone in that? Husbands, you know you only did the dishes once in a month, but boy, you want to be noticed when you did it, right? And the, and the wife's like, oh, honey, thanks. Yeah, I'm that kind of man. That's, that's who I am. Yeah, yeah. Man, when it comes to us, we love it when someone sees what we're doing and we make mention of it. Go ahead and have your seats. This last Thursday morning, my, my, my small group meets at a park since last March. And one of the guys, Mitch, that plays sax, he got there before us. And so he's there about 6, we meet at 6.30. So he's there before 6.30. And who knew? We've been meeting since March. The park doesn't open till 7. So he's sitting there in the dark and, and, and meditating upon the word of the Lord, or maybe Netflix, I can't remember which one. And, and he's waiting for us to arrive. And a policeman comes. And the lights that are blinding shine on, you know? And the policeman walks up, and he's knocking on the window like, what you doing? You selling drugs up here? You know, like, and, and it could, he could have been. No. And so he's like getting him in trouble. He's like, oh, officer, my small group from church, we have a Bible study, and we've been meeting here since last March. So I'm sorry, I didn't realize it doesn't open until 7. And so... The officer says to him, what church are you from? And he says, I'm from Momentum Church. When he said that, this officer said, Momentum Church, I'm Ezra King's daddy, and your church is sending our family to Disney at the end of the month. Ooh, come on, somebody. Now, if we would have been on time, we wouldn't have heard that commendation. And is it about us hearing that? I think Jesus wanted us to hear that. I really do. I think he wanted us to know the difference that you people are making in your generosity. That was Officer King. And on this week, on Friday, I think it is, they will leave and go with their family to Disney. That little boy, that brain tumor and all the stuff he's going through, you're able to, to kind of flatten the, the curve in their life a little bit and bring some peace and joy this week. Amen? Amen? So I want to commend you. But doesn't that feel good? I'll be honest, as pastor, it felt good. It did. When, when Mitch told me that, I was just like, oh, that's the kind of church I pastor. That's the kind of church that we express a need, and you all, to the tune of thousands, go, we can do that. We can make that difference in that life, that family's life. I appreciate you guys for that. And you may look at that and think, well, that's just going to Disney. No, it's not. It's a testimony of the character, of the generosity of your Jesus. 
It's what it is. The kings know of the generosity of our Jesus. Not you. They know of the generosity. It opened a door to the generosity of Jesus being known by that family. Guess what? There are others, if he told Mitch that, there are others that that testimony of the generosity and character of Jesus will have been shared. And over and over, Jesus gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Oh, I, I want that. That's the kind of church I want to be. I want to be a church like the church of Philadelphia because they stood out. I want to be a people that stand out. But listen, not for our glory, but for his gospel. I'm not going to let you miss that, okay? It's not for our glory, but for his gospel. God wants us to be a church that stands, that stands out, amen? He wants us to stand up, and he wants us to stand out. I said he wants us to stand up, and he wants us to stand out. I want to write a rap. Yo, yo, yo. He wants us to stand up. Everybody? I said he wants us to stand up. And he wants to stand out. Yeah, he does. That's who he... Somebody please write me a rap this week, okay? I'll get somebody to, to do it. I, I, I want to stand up and I want to stand out. Not that people go, oh, praise Momentum. But that people go, oh, praise the Jesus that those people at Momentum Church serve. Who I want that in my life. And when it says here that this open door, that there was an open door set before them, don't miss that. That's not just your door of opportunity. I'm so thankful we got a church that's starting to be full of businessmen and, and people that have, have, have entrepreneurial dreams. And, and that's beautiful. And I do believe God's opening doors of opportunity. But this is speaking of a different door. Paul would allude to this door in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, when he reported to the church at Antioch that God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. He had told the church in Antioch, Antioch, y'all's faithfulness to stand up and to stand out has created an open door for the gospel message to go into all the world. Amen? So that open door is actually the opening for mission. It's the opening for the message of the gospel, reaching your friend, your neighbor, your workmate, and around the world. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to the opportunity to preach the gospel of the kingdom. In the king's life, Officer King's family, we got to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We get to preach a gospel that my Jesus ain't broke. Amen? Well, that seems a little bit ostentatious. A trip to Disney, you know? Well, you know what? Maybe it is a little bit all expense paid trip to Jesus, but my Jesus ain't broke. It preached to them a message that God provides and God's generous and God's cared even about their little, their little boy just getting to see something that would bring joy to him. I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's an opening to the kingdom. So the message to the church in Philadelphia was quite different from the messages to the other churches. What the significance of that message to the church of Philadelphia was this. There was no condemnation at all. It was all commendation. I'm sure the members of the Church of God in Philadelphia undoubtedly faced similar influences. I'm sure they faced similar pressures, just like the other six churches that are spoken in Revelations 2 and chapter 3. But when Jesus came to speak to them, he didn't speak any correction. He only offered encouragement and a, a focus on promise. This is what God has for, listen, I'm telling you right now, God's favor is upon you, amen, but you can partner with this favor. God's favor is upon you. There's an open door God has for you, but there's a way that we can live that God would look to us like the church of Philadelphia and say, faithful, 
faithful. That's what he would be able to speak over us. Now listen, this tells us that since this church stood out, it stood up and it stood out, this tells us that we don't have to be like everyone else. Well, this is just how Christianity is today. This is how church is today. This is just how it is in our culture today. I'm sorry, but this is just how it is. No, no, no. You can stand up and you can stand out. You can stand up and you can. I said you can stand up. And you can stand out. Makes me want to get old school. You can stand up. And you can stand out. Good God, y'all. Come on. I mean, I'm excited about this message. I'm telling you. This church stood up and it stood out. Why? Because it was perfect? No. It wasn't a perfect church. But theologians would label this church the faithful church. That's what it is. It's not perfect. I don't see a perfect person in here. Amen. It's not perfect, but it is a faithful church. Let me, let me go. I want to read these verses because I've told you there's a blessing just in the reading, right? So I don't want to miss any of this. I'm going to read it, and then we'll come back and teach through. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. <coughs> I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Now watch this. A church that stands out. You ready for this? Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Two churches in town. One, the faithful. The other church, that's Satan's church. Now, some people would try to castigate the Jewish people and say that this is speaking to them, but it's not because it talks about how these aren't even real Jews. This is a group of people who are bastardizing the Christian faith. And by the way, this church, whatever it was, did not last. We don't see this church in history throughout length there in the city of Philadelphia. But for some reason, there was a group of people that was not living the way the church of Philadelphia was living. And Jesus speaks to us. He says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews. They're not really Jews. They're not following after the things of the Lord. But lie, they lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole earth. To try those who dwell on the earth. Listen, I am coming soon. Hold fast that you have what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar, say pillar, in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Obviously, this has an end time significance. At some point, Jesus will return. At some point, that new Jerusalem will come. We will have an amazing experience in the full presence of God at some point. Amen. But I believe that there is enough for us in this scripture that will cause us to live differently right now. Amen? And we're focusing in this series on how these churches speak to our right now, not so much the end times. Eventually, we'll look at the end times, but today I want to focus on how it affects us right now. So speaking of that, let's go back to their time and just talk a little bit about the church. So 
Philadelphia. It was a city that was located on a hillside about 30 miles southeast of Sardis, and it was founded by the king of Pergamum. Remember the city of Pergamum and that church in Pergamum a few weeks ago? We saw that it was the church of compromise. And so there was a king there who had begun to open up this city of Philadelphia. And the idea of the city of Philadelphia, it was to be a gateway to Asia Minor. It's right there at the edge of, of, of everything as you open up heading toward Asia. Okay, it's, it's on that side of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And the king loved his brother, and so the city was founded by the king. And in honor of his brother, he called it the city of brotherly love because he loved his brother. He was honoring his brother. Obviously, we have Philadelphia here in our country, and it's a symbol of our unity as a country, a city of brotherly love. But at this time, this is where the first Philadelphia was. Phileo means love. Aldelphos means brother. So it's a city of brotherly love. What I want you to understand is it is a central gateway out of Asia Minor into the rest of the world at the time. Okay? It, 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 is, it is a door. Say door into what's next. That, that's what this city is. Very crucial. Now, one thing about the history of, of Philadelphia, it experienced earthquakes often. Throughout history, there are runes upon runes upon runes because for some, some reason in that region, there was tons of earthquakes. There were so many earthquakes that more people in the population chose to live outside the city walls than inside the city walls. They got tired of temples <clears throat> falling down around them. They got tired of their businesses falling down around them, their homes falling down around them. So they would actually live outside the city walls and do business and church and those various things inside the city walls. The thing you need to understand about the church at Philadelphia, it wasn't a large church. It wasn't large. It wasn't powerful in terms of the world's assessment of, of the movement of the church at that time. It wasn't really that powerful. It wasn't large. It wasn't powerful. But it was faithful. And when I think of that, I think of you guys. I really do. You know, it's hard to believe that we're almost, this summer will be 16 years we'll begin to, to, to move here and get things rolling for this church. And, and you know what? Momentum has never been a large church. It's never been in some sense, people say, a powerful church. But can I tell you something that you people have been? You all been a faithful church. You've been a faithful church. Hard times come and we keep on going. Amen. Why? Hard times come and we're going to stand up and we're going to stand out. Amen. Amen. Not for our glory, but for his gospel. Say that, not for my glory, but for his gospel. You have stood up and you have stood out. That's the church I want to be. That's the church I want to continue to have that characteristic spoken over us by Jesus, that he sees our faithfulness. And that's the kind of church that opens doors. It's an amazing statement for a small church that's struggling for Jesus to speak over it and say, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. What Jesus is saying is he has opened a door of opportunity that the gospel can pour through and make Make a difference in the known world at that time. It's that door. It's that door that stands between culture and the kingdom of God. It's that door that stands between the lost and the found, the dark and the light. Amen? <laughs> you see how powerful your faithfulness is? Not your perfection, 
But that faithfulness, God begins to open a door. And through that door, God's people are sent out on mission to the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to plant churches. That's what happened. And literally, do you realize this? 2,000 years later, you're a part of that open door? You received the gospel because Philadelphia was faithful. Oh, man, how awesome is that? Just the thought that somebody was faithful enough that a door could be open and the gospel could continue. And I get to be blessed by that? Man, <clears throat> let me tell you the power of an open door. Can I do that? The power of an open door that stands between what God wants to do and the world. God has so much he wants to do in the world, but he's going to do it through his faithful church. Years ago, turn of the century, there was a preacher by the name of Charles Parham. And Charles Parham began to have a, an understanding. He was a Methodist preacher, but he would look in the book of Acts, and he would realize in the book of Acts there were signs and wonders and healings and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit at work in the early church. And he would look at the church of the day and say, where are we missing this? Have we lost our faithfulness that we're not moving to what God would want to, to have this open door? So they began to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit began to baptize them in the Holy Ghost, and God began to do great signs and wonders in them. Amen? Charles, man, from 1900 up to about 1905, he's traveling around the country sharing this gospel message that, that God saves, heals, delivers, and fills you with the Holy Ghost and does amazing, powerful things. And God starts to stir the nation, really the nations. In 1905, I think it was, um, you had a man by the name of Willie Seymour. William Seymour was an African-American son of a sharecropper, and he wanted to be in these classes that Charles was teaching. And it was in Houston, Texas. And so William, he comes to the classes, but because of Jim Crow laws of the day, that door was closed to him. Physically, literally, he was not permitted in the classroom. Now, that wasn't Charles's heart, not one bit. Charles, man, he felt that God had a word. He wanted to, he believed that God was going to use William. Now, in his mind, it was limited. God was going to use William to reach black folk with this message that the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and well today, and Jesus can be seen through the moving of the Holy Spirit, and he'll point everything back to Jesus. And he felt like that William was going to be used to reach black folk. And so here, they had an idea. William, I'll open the door to my classroom, a physical door, and you sit outside the class. William was so hungry. He, yes, sir, I'm going to do that. And he sat outside that class taking notes. Through, I, can't, I don't know how long the season was that he was listening and learning and growing and taking notes and experiencing the things of God. And, and was that fair? No, it wasn't fair. But they got a workaround, <laughs> Amen. Why? Because William was faithful. Charles wanted to be faithful. They're going to figure this out and get this word in this young man. So next thing you know, it's 1906. William, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes up to um, Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a melting pot of the world at that time. Just people from all over are there. And they begin to have services in a house and on Bonnie Bray Street. And they're having these services in this house. And it's starting to fill the, the living room up and the yard up and the front porch up. And, and they're having these services. And they decide they're going to go into a season of fasting. And on a April Friday night in 1906, they begin this 10-day fast. They're going to seek God. Guess what? God showed up so significantly. 
that outgrew that house quick. They went down the street to a street called Azusa Street, and there was a mission, an old livery that had been turned into the African um, Methodist Episcopal Church, and they began to meet in that old livery. Within weeks, months, next thing you know, 3,000 people sometimes at a time were gathering, just crowded in, around, over, on top. I mean, like, they're just coming. And for three years, it wasn't Charles Parham that led an open-door revival that took the message of the power of God throughout the whole world, but it was William Seymour, a blind black man, who did that. Amen? And originally, they just thought the open door would be for black folk. Mm -mm. Man, there was Asians and Hispanics and, 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 and white folk and Chinese folk. And this message began to go all around the world. Amen? is that awesome? Why? Because a physical open door. And he sat there and he learned at that physical open door. And then a spiritual open door because they were all faithful. They were faithful to the word. They were faithful to what God was calling them to. They were faithful to be on their face before the presence of a living God. And next thing you know, this message begins to go all around the world. And listen, during, I love this, in the Christianity Today, in June 2020, it said this, have Pentecostals outgrown their name? Okay? And when I say that, there's people here going, Pentecostal? I, I'm not Pentecostal. You tell me you're not. You're a Baptist in this house that loves the move of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. You're a Methodist in this house that want to see signs and wonders. Amen? You're a Presbyterian in this house that say, Holy Ghost, fall upon us. Do a work in our lives that we can be an open door and go out with the message of the gospel of healing, signs, wonders, deliverance, victory. You tell me you're not Pentecostal. Somebody sitting on the, at, the, at the house. I'm not, Pastor. I'm not. <laughs> what I'm saying is, this began to stir people. And, I, and I've been using this term for a long time. You'll hear me say this in our membership class. Spirit-filled. I say spirit-filled evangelicals. People who, yes, I know the word. I'm saved. But I want to be touched by the Holy Spirit. And I want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to move and, and allow God to do great works just like he does in the book of Acts. The article said spirit-empowered Christianity. And are you ready for this? When it comes to people that believe like you, all right, there are 644 million Christians in the spirit-empowered movement representing 26% of all Christians worldwide. And y'all, that happened in the last 120 years. Give God some praise. Amen? Amen? What do you mean, Ross? There was an open door physically. And they began to take the word. They began to get hungry for the presence of God. And their faithfulness, an open door, began spiritually. And next thing you know, a revival took off that we're a part of that revival even all these years later. I love that. Now, when you look at Revelations, all right, you can start to see some clues that drop in the scripture that point to the faithfulness of this church. Some clues that show us how we can walk in faithfulness and how we can expect an open door. And so the first thing I saw, it says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One. Now watch this. I'm going to take a drink of water real quick. The true one who has the key of David. That's key. The true one who has the key of David. David was the king, the king of Israel. 
And so if Jesus has the key of David, it's speaking of Jesus' lineage as a king. He is the king of the Jews. Not only is Jesus king of the Jews, he is called to be king over our lives. Those who walk with Jesus in a way that is faithful, we invite Jesus to be king over our lives. He's to be our king. And when we make him king, now listen, you say, Pastor Ross, he's already my king. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's your savior. When they said king of the Jews, thou king of the Jews, it was over the epitaph, over his, his, his cross. That was a mockery. Those people weren't following him. A small band of people were, but most had not looked to Jesus as Lord. No, he can be your savior. I get that. That's all the work he does on the cross. He is your savior. You can't do that on your own, but you make a choice daily in faithfulness to say you will be king over my life. Amen? You will be Lord over my life. I'm just going to tell you right now, being a Christian is too boring to not make him king of your life. I'm just being honest. I don't want to go to heaven 30 years from now, 40 years from now. Well, I was, I was saved when I was a little boy. Got saved. He forgave me of my sins. He's my Savior. But I never did anything that opened the door of the gospel. I never did anything that, that allowed who he is to be seen around the world. You know what I mean? That's boring. This Philadelphia church sounds vibrant, not perfect, but faithful, and God's using them. And this key opens up. Now watch this. He's to be our king, and when we make him king of our lives, we get a key that opens doors. When he's king, that's when your family starts to see that Jesus is faithful. When he's king, that's when your family starts to see you make decisions not based on your feelings, but on his word. When he's king, that's when your friends start to realize there's something going on different in that person's life, that he doesn't rule and reign his own life. There's somebody in charge of his life. And guess who hates when we make Jesus king? Satan. Just hates it. He'd be completely satisfied with us just being satisfied with Jesus as Savior. And us never living lives faithful, never living lives submitted, never living lives like the Church of Philadelphia strived to live. Now, let me go back to Philadelphia just a little bit more. The city of Philadelphia, it was damaged by earthquakes so much that it resulted in a fear that kept a large part of the population from living within the city walls. Like I said, pillars would fall and temples would come down, you know? Buildings would fall. So with that in your mind, listen to the scripture. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. These are people that are used to seeing pillars fall. But God's looking at him and saying, when you conquer, when you live this way and you're faithful, you will stand up and you will stand out. You will stand up and you will stand out. Everybody, you will stand and you will, yeah, that's what's going on here. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of, my, of, of the city of my God. Listen to this, guys. We are to be pillars standing in contrast to the, all that is shaking around us today. We are to be pillars standing in contrast to that which shakes. There is shaky theology today, Amen. There's shaky culture today, amen? Not just outside the church, but in the church. There is things, there are, are, are political crises that are shaking the country. There are all sorts of things. And we are to be pillars 
that stand in the face of all the things that are shaking around us. The message to this congregation, it comes with promise. Jesus says you're going to overcome. And when you overcome, you'll be like a pillar. You will stand up and you will stand out in the temple of my God. I love it. I love it. There's another reference we see here. Watch this. This will make sense now. They lived outside the walls because they were afraid everything would crash, right? He says, never shall he go out of it, this temple of God. You're not going to have to worry. Those things that have crashed around you, you stand up and you stand out. I'll give you promise. You be faithful and you will stand up and you'll stand out and you will not have to worry. The walls will not crash down around you, although it may seem like it. You'll be a pillar that can go in and never come back out. Now, I know there's end time implication. I know that means heaven and we'll be with God forever. I get it. But he was speaking to these people here too, that you will stand the test of time. I love it. And so this reference to being a pillar in God's temple, it speaks to us to stand and to not go out. And stand out what? Not for your glory, but for his gospel. Let me say it again. Stand up not for your glory, but for his, for his gospel. Let's go on back down through here a little bit, all right? Uh, let's go down. Let's go down. I just want to go back to verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the keys of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. These people had an open door to ministering to the world, and literally church history would show us that they were a church-planting church. They sent out missionaries and church planters. Literally, some of the first churches that were founded in India were founded by church planters that were released from the church of Philadelphia. Is that neat? They were the physical gateway to Asia, but they also were the spiritual door to Asia. Why? Because they were faithful. And I'm going to tell you right now, I feel in my spirit God doing a shift in this ministry at Momentum Church. Okay, don't, don't just listen to me, okay? A shift in our ministry. And what that looks like over the next, I don't know how many years, it's a shift in understanding our global place in the kingdom of God. And here's why. There are people lost around the world. There are church fellow church members, our brothers and sisters around the world, that we need to understand what they're going through better as a church. We, we, it's so, we get so trivialized with just us here in the American church, and we forget we're a part of something that literally 2,000 years ago ran around the world. And today, there's people all around the world that we're connected to. And we still are called to be an open door. We're still called to promote the gospel, to do whatever we can for the word and for those people that we, that we love, our, our church family and those that are lost in those regions. And I don't know what all that looks like, the adventure that we're about to go on as a church, but I just see us having more of a global understanding. And not, I'm not saying global impact. Pastor Ross is going to get a television ministry. I don't have the teeth for it. I really, that wasn't that funny. She's like, somebody asked me one time, are you going to plant other churches and be on the TV screen? And I'm like, no. Not that that's wrong, but you don't want to see my teeth 18 inches. You know, like, you know, no, no, it's not. But we're going to raise up people and send people. Amen? Amen? Kind of jumping off that. But all I'm getting at is this church had this open door. And generation after generation after generation went from them. It was poured out from their lives because they were faithful. 
Do you realize over 1,200 years, earthquakes would hit that city? There are, 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 are archaeological relevance of, of just runes upon runes upon runes. 1,200 years, earthquakes would hit the city, and it would hit the church, and the church would fall to the ground, and they would come back out, and they would rebuild it. And then it would hit the church again, and they would come back out, and they would rebuild it. Why? Because they were faithful. And it would hit it again, and they would rebuild it. In, in the 6th century, they built like the largest, it's, it's not there now, it's in ruins, but they built the largest of their churches at the time. But it was just that idea that they stayed faithful to Jesus for literally 1,200 years. So that means this. There was people 1,200 years later, 1,300 AD, looking at this scripture. This is our church. Can you imagine how heady that would be? Our church was spoken to be faithful. It's not going to drop on my dime. It's not going to drop on my watch. And you're actually in that church. This, this means that, that if, 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 if there was people that when, when they visited, when Paul visited there, and I'm trying to find, we'll, we'll use the Wadegas, Braxton and Bree, okay? So Paul visits there, 100 AD. And there's the Wadega family. Even Paul couldn't spell it, but there was the Wadega family. It's a Polish name. And, and he meets Bree and Braxton. This is what this is literally saying, guys. Catch this. Generation after generation. 1,200 years later, little Braxton's grandson, his grandson's 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 grandson's, somebody shows up in that church, and there's a Wadega sitting in there studying the Word of God. There's a Wadega going after the Lord. There's a Wadega still wanting to see the things of God go around the, the world. Amen? We're in our country in America. It's a little, small, tiny history. That's all we have, a little history. Sometimes I think, oh my gosh, I've been here 16 years. We face so much as a church. Wah, 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 you know. <laughs> 16 years is nothing. But should the Lord tarry? Are we living in such a way that generation after generation after generation, could we say that we're living in such a way that we have a vision for 1,200 years from now? That's faithfulness, people. That'll have you live your Christian walk different. That'll have you show up at church different. We act like this stuff didn't really happen. This happened. Church of Philadelphia, 1300 AD. And there's people still in that church. In the first service, there was the cousin family. And I said, there's cousins still there 1300 years later. And then it hit me. I thought, you don't want a church full of cousins. Unless you're in Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry it's funny your first service you had to be there ah. like pillars they stood up and they stood out like pillars they stood up and they stood out they stood up and they stood out as faithful witnesses to Jesus so I want to close with these things real quick I'm not going to take too much longer keep standing y'all are pillars You're going to keep standing by serving first. Amen? Jesus said, I know your works. How do we keep standing like pillars? We work. How many of you, you wake up at times and you feel like, I don't even know if my life matters. It's because we have this little short vision of what our life means. When you get a kingdom mindset and you realize the things that you're doing are opening kingdom doors. They have an eternal consequence. Man, those little daily insignificant things, they just don't worry you as much. 
Jesus loves us, and he loves his church, and he wants us to love him and his church just as much. He wants to love his church so much that we love our children into the next generation of the church. And we want to lead our children in such a way that they would give their life for Jesus in the church. That literally 1,200 years later, there would still be people. And if we can get a vision beyond the weekend for ourselves, we could actually be faithful. Well, Pastor Ross, you understand this weekend I've got this, and this weekend I've got that, and this weekend I have, and this weekend I have, and this, well, what about your weeknights? Oh, those are busy too. No kingdom mindset, no faithfulness to, to the agenda of God. Well, Pastor, what's that mean? I, I, to me, it means that daily, weekly, at least weekly, monthly, I don't, I don't want to put a burden on you. I'm just saying at least some part of our lives are saying, what are we doing that's making a kingdom impact? What are we doing in our faithfulness that's opening the door to the gospel, to the world, that's making a difference to the world? It starts with men and women saying, Jesus, he loves me, and he loves our church, and I'm going to raise my children to receive Jesus' love, and I'm going to raise my children to serve his church, and I'm believing they'll do the same. And yes, I know some of our kids will fall away. I get that. But will we be real enough that when it's time, God will draw them back? Because we got a long-range game here, not a short game. Amen? But Pastor Ross, listen, someone else will take care of the church. Someone else will keep it biblical. Someone else will keep it faithful. Someone else will pay the bills. Someone else will serve. Someone else will lead those groups. Someone else will care for the people. What, Pastor Ross, I just, for me, is it okay? Can I be a consumer? Is it okay? I mean, can I be a consumer and not be a missionary? Is that okay? Can I I just take and not give? Is that okay? Can I just criticize and not help? Is that okay? Yes, you can, but you will not be labeled faithful. Mm. Jesus, he was faithful. And the question to us that he has is, will we as his people be faithful And when we become unfaithful, perhaps it is then when Jesus shuts the door of our influence. We're a small church. I'm okay. Because you've got a ton of influence. Do you know that? It's not because your pastor is anything special. It's not because any of us are anything special. But you've been faithful with the little things been faithful, and I'm proud of you for that. And I want to keep along those things. He says, I know your works. I know your works. Jesus, he cares that we work. He cares that we serve. And so what I find about serving, it fixes a lot of stuff. Serving often will fix our personal purpose. We'll find purpose in serving. You know, I find this. Those who serve are rarely those who criticize. Those who serve are rarely those who are demanding. Well, Pastor Ross, Christianity, it's not about works. No, you're right. We're not saved by works. That way none of us would boast. I I get that. You're right. But the Bible says faith without works is, is dead. And so if the Philadelphia church is a faithful church, guess why? Because they're full of good works. That's part of their faithfulness. I see your works. Their faith isn't dead. This church lasted for so long and was called faithful because they had added works to their faith. That's the first thing, stand by serving. The second, keep standing by striving. He looks at them. They're not perfect. They're faithful. He looks and he says, you have little strength. 
They're striving. A lot of times, Amy and I will use the word, the language of this, because it's hope-filled. We won't say we're fighting over something. I'm fighting with this or I'm fighting with that. We'll use the word contend. I'm contending for my marriage. I'm contending for my health. I'm contending to be a good dad. I'm contending. In other words, I'm striving. I know I'm not perfect. I know there are weaknesses. I know we struggle, but we are striving. We're contending. And this Philadelphian church was faithful because they had little strength. But they were striving. What happens is this. In 700 AD, Muhammad, around 700 AD, Muhammad begins to take his revelation. And Islam begins to go all around the world at that time. <laughs> I told you a few weeks ago, Christianity is a religion of invitation. Whereas Islam at that time, and very often still today, is a religion of imposition. Okay, And all of a sudden, there are wars being fought to take what is in large part a Christian people in Asia Minor and in all those regions and to convert them to Islam or to kill them by the sword. Now, here's what's wild about that. This is 700 AD. All these years later, guess what the last church still standing in Asia Minor is in 1342? All those years later, the last church still standing faithful is the Church of Philadelphia. All the other churches had succumbed by that point, but the Church of Philadelphia is still going on. They're still going strong until the Turkish Muslim soldiers showed up to the church in 1342. All those other cities and churches had fallen and had given up. But listen, these people, number three, so they're going to contend, number three, they kept standing by and submitting to the word. Keep standing by submitting. By submit. This is what the word says. I'm going to live it. For all these years, 1,200 years, they just kept living it. That was their faithfulness. They just kept living it. And so it says here, you have kept my word. You've kept it. You've submitted to it. You haven't backed down. What pleased Christ about this church was that its members had persevered in the face of pressures to abandon God's instruction. But they continued to persevere. Many of the Christians at the time had fled, but listen, many of the Christians in those regions had been brutally martyred and such. These people just continue to go on. They're not going to compromise, but guess what happened in 1342? They were literally slaughtered in their own church. Women, children, young, old, slaughtered, put to death by the sword in their own church. You know what that tells me about faithfulness? That's how they shut the church of Philadelphia down. They shut it down by killing everybody. That's heavy, isn't it? I'm not wanting you to physically die for this message, you know. But that's how they shut that church down. For us, I don't think it's going to be a physical death. I think we're just going to stop submitting to the word. And the church will die a cultural death because we will not keep the word. Can I tell you this? And it won't be a battle against us and the world. It'll be a battle against us and the synagogue of Satan. What do you mean? The counterfeit church. The church that says, well, that Bible's antiquated. That Bible means something different. This new Bible says this about these things about life, these things about, about et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. See what I'm saying? No, Philadelphia, I mean, they were holding on. They were holding on to the point of death. That's how faithful 
They were. Were they strong? No, they had little strength. Were they perfect? No, they were faithful. And they would keep God's word until they shut them down. They had to murder all the believers. That's an amazing church. No, I'm not going to lead you all in drinking the Kool-Aid. Amen. Y'all look nervous as I'm preaching this part. It's like, I, like this is, 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 are we going to become a cult? Yes. No, indeed. No. No. But I want us to be cultish in our minds. Is that, is that wrong? Like, I want us to realize Jesus is everything. I want to be faithful to him, and I want to keep his, his word. And then finally, keep standing by speaking. He says, and you have not denied my name. Instead of denying God's name, they had remained faithful, and apparently they just kept preaching the gospel, not a different message. They kept preaching the gospel, the message. And as they did, God opened doors to them. So in verse 11, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Again, I know that speaks to end times and eternal blessings, but I believe God's people need to act more keenly. We have a king with keys that wants to open a door to allow the princes and princes, if you will, of the kingdom to speak life and to hold fast to the word and to see an open door for the gospel to go all around the world in our homes first and around the world. Once we begin obeying God and living as he commands, we must stay the course. We must stay faithful. It's so important to not deny his name. Next Sunday, we're going to conclude this series. It's going to be powerful. You don't want to miss next Sunday as we experience a story of intense sacrifice and dedication in the face of persecution. You don't want to miss next Sunday. Amen? And then what we're going to do to close this series out is after the teaching, we're going to come together and I'm going to lead us in communion as a family of God. As we just submit ourselves to the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, afresh and anew. And I believe as we do that, that God will open a door for us and the gospel will continue to spread from 659 Arnold Mill Road. More importantly, the gospel will spread. Everybody say your address real loud. There you go, from your house, amen? Jesus, right now, if you're here in the room, I was talking about the kingship of Jesus. Right now, if you're here, what I want you to do is I just want you to think a little bit about what might be standing on the throne of your heart. What might be challenging that faithfulness? Is there anything else that you're letting to be king in your life? And every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, is there anything else that you're letting be king? And God's saying, I'm king. I'm ready. I'm ready for your, you don't have to have lots of strength. Just keep my word. Just do the works. Don't deny my name. If you're here this morning and in your heart, you're like, yeah, there's some things in my life I know I'm not giving to him and letting him be king over. If you would, just hold your hand up and then you can put it back down. Any hands today? Yes. Yeah, I see hands. Jesus, right now, we just come to you and we resubmit our lives to you as our king. We want to be faithful. And in doing so, Lord, I know you're key. Lord God, you will open every door necessary for my good and for the good of those in this world that need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.com.
www.momentumchurch.tv.